On this episode of Deal and Extend, we continue the conversation from Destination Linux on the misconceptions in and around Linux. episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 40 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from around the DLN community, places like the discourse forums, telegram groups, discord server, and so much more. We also grab topics from around the network and give you our takes. With me are my two fantastic ho-hosts, Gamer Matt and the OpenSUSE fanatic, Nate. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic and fanatical. I'm always doing well. And Nate, you are always fanatical about OpenSUSE. And it's an unhealthy obsession. Almost unhealthy. <laughs> no, it is. Almost. Unhealthy. All right. We'll just have to agree to disagree on that. <laughs> So Nate, what have you been up to this week? Well, I got some parts in the mail that came yesterday, so I haven't actually been able to do anything with them. For my HP Elite Book 840G7, memory upgrade for it. I'm going to add a, a 32 gigabyte SODIMM, more RAM. And I have a one terabyte NVMe to stick in there at the same time. So I'm really excited about that. It's actually surprisingly easy to work on. I think we talked about that before. The bottom panel has five captive screws that hold, hold it on, and then you can just access whatever you want. I think the Elite Book series, maybe that is a business class. I think I'm, I'm not real familiar with all yeah, the ins and outs of Elite Book. Yeah, but it seems like it's designed to be serviced. So I say it's a well done design in that regard. So I'm excited about that because I'm going to have like full mirroring of my main machine that I use that is set up here at my workstation with my ultra wide, all that fun stuff. Full mirror of all my data. So if I do anything, I'm using SyncThing to, to do that. This way I can access my information. You know, if I make changes when I'm on the road or if I'm at home, it wouldn't matter. It's all right there. I do have to clear up some recording stuff because of all this like deal and extend and my cubicle night nonsense. I have a lot of data that just I'm hoarding. So I have to clean that up before I do the, the mirroring piece. I don't really know like when I should delete things, Matt. That's a good question for you, perhaps. When do I wipe stuff out? If, if you want <laughs> a good recommendation on that stuff, ask Michael. Uh, he doesn't have good information on that. I already asked. No, but he knows when to delete stuff. It's when you have four gigs left on your computer. And you have a show to record. And so you need this space. Right. You scramble. I can probably just archive it all to my server that wouldn't get mirrored around. I just yeah. haven't done that yet. So the other thing is I got this Dell TB16 Thunderbolt 3 dock for this computer. And it works great, except the human interface device, the keyboard and mouse that I plug in. Now, sometimes the keyboard typically works, but like the mouse will just sometimes just drop out. Doing a little digging, I discovered that it's an issue that requires an update. To the dock itself? Yes, the dock. The Dell dock needs a, a firmware update. It's actually an urgent firmware update to, to download the updates for that. And it requires Windows to install. So I'm really not excited about that. I don't have anything Windows, let alone anything with Windows that has USB-C. Somehow I have to figure that out. Maybe I can do it like through a virtual machine or, or a DOS box. I don't really know yet. It's a bummer when things require Windows to do firmware upgrades. My cameras, quote unquote, supposedly require Windows or Mac, but I can go into the terminal, extract the files I need. The worst thing about them is you don't actually need the operating system. The files in there, all you need it to do is extract it from the EXE or whatever the mm, Mac OS Yes extension is. So once that's done, the file goes on your SD card and the camera does all the work. But on my gimbal that I have, when it does a firmware upgrade, it actually needs some operating system program to do the upgrade. Yeah, that's a it's a bummer. Just it's a plain out bummer. I did some, you know, research, see if there's anyone who's done it on Linux, if there's anybody out there. And what I found, the place to go for that kind of information is the ArchWiki. Love Arch or not, the people who are eyeballs deep in Arch, they know a lot. 
the recommendation is to use Windows. Maybe do it through a virtual machine. Maybe we can do like some sort of PCI pass-through type deal to it. This is uh, unknown territory for me. So we'll see. Maybe someone out there in the DLN community will hear this and say, follow these steps. And then I can say, yay. Later today, I'll be doing my upgrades to that machine. I don't want to do it during the show because that might be kind of rude. Thing is, I wouldn't blame you because <laughs> I put an entire system together just before we recorded Hardware Addicts one time because all the parts nice. were there. And it's one of those things where I can't help myself. I have them. I have all the parts. So the machine has to go together now. And you just can't wait. I totally get it because I've been there. I can't say I've done that. I've been there. I barely made it to showtime, but I did it. <laughs> So Matt, what's been going on with you? So I've been playing a game, a shock and surprise. Wait, wait, you play games? I do. You should try it, Nate. I'm going to write that down here. Matt plays games. Okay, written. This game is actually called Insomnia of the Art. They're going for a first couple of Fallout games vibe for it, but with like modern aesthetics and that kind of stuff. I had streamed this a little bit. I played about two hours into it. Now I'm the type of gamer, like if I play a couple of hours and there's nothing that hooks me, or there's stuff that really annoys me that I just can't get over. That's one of those games that tends to just go in the yep, nope kind of list. Unfortunately, Insomnia of the Ark is one of those games. There's just certain things that I don't like about it. It's like the, the navigation is not that great. They'll talk about how it's for exploration and that kind of stuff. You can't even put waypoints on the map for your own reference is kind of annoying. The kind of janky mentality and the way like quests are given and that kind of stuff it's just not my kind of game for those that like it cool aesthetically and that kind of stuff i can see why but from a gameplay perspective not gonna do anything for me just no <laughs> one of those games that goes in the not interested in list right now the next game it looks like i'll be playing to completion is viking wolves of midgard that is the one people have chosen, so that is the one I will play. That's one you like, you so you've played enough of it to know that you're good with playing it till the end, or is it one of those that you may have to suffer? I've played some of this with Ryan. I've played some of this with one of my friends, Juan. It's a Diablo 2 kind of game, more story-focused, less crappy than Diablo 3, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to be brutally honest. <laughs> the fact that it's native Linux support is definitely cool. You can do single player, you can do over the internet co-op, local co-op, it doesn't matter. All about the choices and stuff, that's, that's really cool. I'm looking forward to playing it. Awesome. Wendy, though, what have you been up to? Done a little bit more digging into the laptop situation. You've even sent me some recommendations and I find it all still extremely frustrating. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden, the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital, sensitive information. It is not only open source, but has also had third-party auditing on the source code. This is why I've chosen Bitwarden for my password manager. It's easy to get started. Just go to bitwarden.com DLN. The big question is, why do I need a password manager? And that's a good one. Why do you? Well, I'll tell you. Using password123 on all your accounts is just not a good security practice. Also, having the same password for everything is a terrible idea. Remembering all the variations is nearly impossible unless you have some kind of a super memory. And a super memory is something I do not have. And storing passwords on sticky notes or in a spiral bound notebook is not only inconvenient, it also is a bit lacking in security efficacy. Therefore, I have chosen Bitwarden. This is a password book that I can take with me anywhere. I can have it on different computers, different browsers, on my mobile, 
Not only is it a safe place for passwords, but also identity and financial account information as well. This feature got me out of a pretty serious jam recently when I had an issue with some safety controls on one of my accounts. I needed to use another card to pay for the rest of the service. Since I didn't take that card with me anywhere, I didn't have it on me, but I did store the information on Bitwarden. I remembered I did this, so I pulled up that account information, paid for the service, and ultimately prevented what could have been a serious life interruption. You can get started with Bitwarden by going to bitwarden.com DLN. It's free to use, but if you want to level up and go for the premium features for only $10 a year, not only will you support a great open source project, but also you will unlock premium password security and management features. Bitwarden has saved my bacon numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it out of my cold, dead device. We'd like to thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Misconceptions are everywhere and about everything, and Linux has its very own some of those were brought up in the last episode of Destination Linux. What are some of the other misconceptions that are going on in Linux that kind of bother you or you wish that was busted, Nate? I would say my number one misconception in Linux, and specifically in OpenSUSE Linux, is that it has a difficult installer. I know Matt, he, he rags on a little bit about the Wi-Fi configuration. And I'm not going to argue with him on that because it's true. The Wi-Fi configuration tool in the OpenSUSE installer is a bit lackluster. It's, it's certainly not new friendly, like newbie friendly. But if you're technically competent and you've been around computers, and I don't mean just Linux, but computers in general, because I mean, I went from using Amiga, DOS, you know, Windows, you know, the Windows XP series before or 98 before going to Linux. To me, it wasn't difficult to install at all because I had installed my own. Well, DOS isn't really much to install. It's not really an installation. I mean, maybe it would be complicated maybe for somebody, but installing DOS 6.22 onto a machine is trivial at worst. It's basically copying files onto the drive. That's it. There's nothing else to do, which I guess technically that's all that all these installers do anyway. They're just, there's more to it. But what is really neat about the OpenSUSE installer is if you have like more unique or like specific setups, like if you have a, if you have a specific use case that is not just a desktop that has maybe like drive arrays, servers, edge device type installation, and you're going to install OpenSUSE on it, say it's headless or whatever, it can actually detect that it's headless and you're doing the installation through a serial terminal and it will automatically pipe that information out to the serial terminal. And Yast is so flexible that you can use either the graphic interface or the, you know, the NCURSUS terminal interface and it will you know, automatically adjust based on your requirements. And so I know this is not like most Linux users probably are not doing, you know, they're, they're installing a, a laptop or a desktop or whatever and to use it you know, maybe with like a, like a workstation setup is probably most of the installations. I have a lot of different bits and bobs in my house of Linuxy things that are not necessarily desktops. So the, the OpenSUSE installer makes it very easy to install these very different type of devices, give you a very basic setup, you know, whatever it is that you need. Because I wouldn't say OpenSUSE gives you all the nuts and bolts and bells and whistles right out of the gate which is fine for me, like for desktop installation, it gives you enough of a desktop to have a good desktop experience, you know, a lot of the tools and whatnot. Obviously not all the multimedia stuff is there. It doesn't just install Audacity by default, but it does give you a nice, you know, a, a basic setup, you know, LibreOffice for desktop and whatnot. But like for a server, if you do like a server setup or, ser or whatever else, it tailors toward that installation. And so I think that there's a misconception about that because there are so many options and so many buttons and switches that you may have to flip at install, which I have used a lot of those features and functions so for me, it's a lot easier to get a OpenSUSE setup for numerous things than it is for me to use other distributions where I have to work a little harder or do a lot of like post-install work just to be able to get these things going and operational and so forth. Yast gets beat up by a lot of people out there because it's not like other Linux and that's fine. 
I understand the, the heartburn in that, but that's actually why I use OpenSUSE is because of Yast, because of all those tools right at my fingertips that I can do these things very quickly, very easily, and I don't have to to faff about with it. And I can just get something set up and get right to doing whatever it is that I want to do. You have more flexibility when it comes to install than on other distributions, which is nice. And I have to agree with you when it comes to installing is not my favorite part of Linux. And, and I'm not saying that the install of what I use like Manjaro or whatever is bad. It's because it takes so much time and this is speaking like tongue in cheek because it's nothing like reinstalling Windows, but you have the system install. And then on top of that, I've got other applications that need to be installed and screens that need to be calibrated and, and all of that. It's not horrible for the most part. It's just a little bit time consuming and that kind of thing. And it's definitely not my favorite part of running Linux either. Right. It's like going before you go for a run, putting on your shoes especially if you're wearing the Vibram five finger shoe, that's not the fun part about wearing a Vibram five finger. Yeah, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt, right. you know, to get, get all your toes in the different com, com, uh, compartments. But it's when you actually go for that run, you know, you're, you're running, you know, six, seven, eight miles, how good you feel. Okay, maybe that's not going to, that's, that's probably not a universal <laughs> You're still analogy. tired after running six or seven miles. You're still yeah. tired after <laughs> running, yeah. But, you know, you don't have the burn between your toes. You don't have like the pain in your feet. You don't have the pain in your ankles and so forth because you took those steps initially. Right. And as someone who wears those shoes every day for every occasion, I totally understand, right? Because they make the rest of me feel so much better. It's worth on something like OpenSUSE to have these extra intricacies at install so that you don't have to do some of that stuff afterwards. You can just be installed and ready to go with whatever that project needs. You nailed it. What are one of those misconceptions about Linux that annoy you specifically? That there is no software available for Linux. That's probably the biggest one that I run into on the day-to-day. -day. And there is some truth or a nugget of truth in the fact that there's a lot of proprietary stuff that hasn't made it over to Linux. There are some amazing alternatives to proprietary stuff that people use. So if they don't have to have it for a specific work-related thing, there are options available on the software side. And even better, we have open source software like my software pick last week, Krita, which you can take, add to your current system, play with it, kind of get used to it before switching over. Showing people some of those software options that are available for a Linux system that run really well and they can try out now is one of the things that I wish people knew more about. You don't have to have absolutely nothing but a terminal and maybe a word processor on your Linux system. There are applications available to get work done, to get fun stuff done, to do photo editing, video editing, desktop recording, gaming, all of these other things. It's just not well known enough. Yeah, definitely is software available. I think a lot of that misconception problem is user expectation. That yeah. A lot of them come to you, the platform, expecting everything they had on a prior system to work. And quite frankly, that's kind of idiotic. You don't even have the same stuff on Mac. So if you go from Windows and Mac, there will still be things that are different or missing or whatever. Yeah. Well, you go to Windows and Mac, Mac to Windows, you know, iOS to Android, if you want to go that route, like there are stuff that's available on other platforms. 
that aren't going to be available on the platform you're going. Why is it Linux gets put in this weird little bubble? I think is quite stupid. And it shows kind of an unwillingness to be open to alternatives in general. But yet yeah. they'll, they'll jump to a Mac and be perfectly fine with the alternatives. You know, you, you don't have the built-in video editor like there is in Windows 10. You have to use iMovie or, you know, what insert application here. It's a weird thing that I, I never have understood why it only applies to Linux. The argument could be made there. There's no quote unquote killer applications for Linux. Again, that's relative. There's no integration of iMovie and GarageBand and all the, all the other stuff the creatives use for on Mac. Like that's its selling point. Right. And I wish there was a little more integration between some of the creative apps. And we've talked about that on past episodes. That is something that Mac has that I would love to see a little more integration between those apps on Linux. I think it's Lightworks and Reaper kind of have that. I believe Noah would know more about that than I would. Like the those kind of like one program feeds into another program. That is a, the workflow stuff, which we, we tend not to pay much attention to, unfortunately, that makes things more consistent and faster flowing and productivity work, quote unquote, you know, creative work, call it whatever you want. Well, and you brought up that, you know, Linux doesn't have any quote unquote killer apps. And that mostly is because many of the apps that are developed for Linux are also shared across other platforms. The developers that are making those open source projects are wanting everybody to be able to use them. They're not hoarded just for Linux. Yeah. Darktable as an example. I know that's one of your favorite apps. Windows and Mac version. If I had to use somebody else's computer for a while, if I went to visit and couldn't take my own, I could still get a copy of Darktable and use it on a completely different system. For the most part, it would work exactly the same as it does on my home system. Mm -hmm. I totally agree that it's a dumb misconception, I think, and one that perpetuates in a lot of its based in ignorance and the fact that a lot of people who make those assumptions don't generically use the OS, which is weird. Yeah, they're typically telling people why they shouldn't be using Linux. I do have a, an example of actually where, a few examples actually, of like the application integration. One of the things that I like about using Plasma is the application integration. And maybe it's more of a Plasma thing, not a Linux thing. That is definitely a Plasma desktop thing. And it does have some amazing integrations mm -hmm. between stuff. Absolutely. Like Gwenview, the image viewer. I can go like, let's say I open up an, an image there. I'm like, oh, I want to edit that. And it's something more than just cropping or rotating. I can go right and uh, take that to Krita or GIMP very easily, and I can do whatever I need to do and then save it off. So little things like that, it does very nicely. Uh, the application OpenShot for video editing, I have not actually used this feature because I am just haven't, but they have a Blender integration. So you can actually do things like you, you can move stuff back and forth between Blender and OpenShot very nicely. So there's, there's little things like there are some applications that are doing those kind of integrations that you were speaking of. You're right. Raw Therapy does the same thing. So you can easily edit something in Raw Therapy and then bring it over to GIMP. I do see and experience enough integration in my applications that I, I'm actually quite impressed. Yeah, uh, what we're talking about is like a consistent integration, I guess, among all the creative apps. All right, Matt. Nate and I have both dove into one of our biggest misconceptions around Linux. What's yours? That Linux is nothing but a terminal. And that kind of feeds into what I was just talking about. I mean, it'd be a lot cooler if it was. You can run it just a terminal, but it doesn't have and to I do. be, and that's your point. That's the point. The misconception is that everything has to be done from the terminal. It can be. They're not wrong. And some of this is perpetuated, I think, by the community, which doesn't help, honestly. Personal flavor. Take what you will. I think generically, if you're writing 
documentation is different to me than, say, a general help guide. Different levels, you know, you, different demos. You're, you're targeting different people here. It's weird because the one, like certain elements of the Linux sphere we'll talk about, don't copy and paste commands from the internet. What's the first thing we generically fall back to? Copy and paste commands from the internet. No. Maybe you do. I think it perpetuates that everything has to be done from the terminal. No, it's the preferred way to communicate how to solve a problem because man pages or people pages, whatever you want to call them, then technical forums and that kind of stuff, because that's the crowd that it caters to. Whereas a lot of people that are generic, everyday users, they're not care if it's using fish or bash or they don't care. They, they want the pointy, clicky, gooey thing. So instead of showing people how to fix a problem in... take any problem. It doesn't really matter that you can do in a GUI. Change your screen res. You can do that in the terminal. Some people do. Hitting the meta key and typing in displays and go configure it that way instead. Absolutely. My in-laws have now been using Linux for the last three or four years and they never touch the terminal. They never touch the terminal at all, but use it every day as their daily computer. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Um, I'm just saying that the misconception is you don't need to. Not going to lie, looking at it from the outside in, it's kind of our own fault. Call it criticism, call it whatever you want. That's just how I view it. I'm not saying I'm right. Some people are afraid to come to Linux because the misconception of lack of apps. There's also people that are worried about coming to Linux because they think they have to know how to do stuff in the terminal. If you want to get down and go to a config file to change your wallpaper by using FVWM Crystal or any of the weird like window managers, by all means, go ahead. It's there. We set up ourselves for like this weird, well, you don't have to do everything in the terminal, but we do everything in the terminal. So uh, like I find the dichotomy just weird and it's very untrue and uh, it's kind of self-perpetuating in my view. I was thinking about this. One of the reasons I enjoy Linux is because of the terminal. Again, I realize I'm kind of an edge case in a lot of many, many, many ways. The one fun thing about the terminal is getting into the nuts and bolts of the system. And I realize not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants to play with computers. And no, that's not why I, want, that's not why I like Arch. I don't try and push me in that direction. By the way, I use Arch. Mm-hmm, yeah, by the way, I don't use Arch. Some of the problems, I think, in Linux of why it has a misconception of you have to use a terminal is because many times it is the easy way to fix something. Nobody creates a good graphic way of solving the problem because they already have a solution for it. That solution just doesn't work for everybody. So I understand that misconception, but you're absolutely right. You don't need to use a terminal for so many things. Let's talk OpenSUSE again. I like using the terminal because the terminal commands are so easy to use, but they have all these graphic user interface tools that help you to do all these things automatically, essentially, you know, that, that automate it for you and make it really easy. So you could be a sysadmin with OpenSUSE and, and not ever touch a terminal. My main editing rig is a ceiling OS machine. I have Uquake, Yaquake, however you, the drop-down terminal for KDE or Plasma. I use the drop-down terminal. I use it for yay-syu installing updates from, from yay and all the other stuff. I still do that, but when I'm just installing generic apps, I go use Pomac. I use the GUI because I just don't care. To me, it's either one's going to be the same amount of stuff because I still have to hit a button Still have to type in what I'm looking for and still have to either hit enter or check and that's and still input a password. I think that maybe my problem is waiting for an application to load is annoying for me sometimes. And so it's easier just to get the drop down, the Aquake or whatever it's called, the Quake terminal, drop down terminal and quickly type it in. It doesn't really matter. Like do whatever you prefer, obviously. The misconception uh, is kind of self-inflicted. The terminal is great. I love it. But on the same note, 
talk about wanting to break people into Linux. And the one big misconception is, oh, you have to type in the terminal like it's DOS or, you know, early OS here. That's not the case. And I think we should be showcasing like, hey, you can use Discover. It's really good these days. Like I actually use it. Do you now? When I'm searching for applications because it has like the Flatpak plugin for it. It doesn't have a snap one on OpenSUSE, which I wish it did. I can very easily search for an application and just install it. Like Element, for instance. Flatpak commands, I think, for in- installing and managing. Kluge to use? At best. <laughs> this, I'd rather use the snap commands, just going to say. The over-reliance is something of a misconception we create on ourselves is what I'm trying to say. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub repositories and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. DigitalOcean runs all of their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with any other products. Plus, they built this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener to DLN Extend podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 credit on top of DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. That was a fantastic topic there, Matt. Now, you've told us earlier in the episode how there's this game that you started to play and you really didn't like. Is there a game in your backlog that you've recently kind of dived into that you do like? Yes, actually, there is. Uh, This is going to sound really bad because I'm actually a horror game fan. I've played Dead Space, but I've never actually beaten any of the Dead Spaces to completion. Obviously, my recommendation is going to be Dead Space 1. Survival horror. You play a engineer named Isaac. The cool thing with this is like the weapons that you get, it'd be like getting a nail gun in a zombie movie. It's not meant for what you're using it for, but it works. The kind of the cool thing, like he's not a soldier. He's an engineer and he's just trying to survive this whole ordeal. I fired it up. There's actually a couple of screenshots on my Steam page from this running on Linux. Works perfectly fine. Lighting effects when you first see the ship that you're going to be on is still to this day amazing. And this is a 12-year-old game, and it still looks oh, wow. good. The, the lighting effects just look amazing. Now, some of the character models, they're very, you know, 2008-ish, so don't expect the best-looking character models. Yeah. From a structure, from a horror game element, very fun game, very good survival horror game. Obviously, survival horror means rated M, so this is not for kids. <laughs> I will caveat that, but it is a fun game and I've been enjoying it. This is kind of the game I've been playing in between Insomnia and Wolves of Midgard. So I'll probably end up finishing this up sometime this week. 
So what would you say is the standout feature that would drive people to it? That would drive people to it? Zombies, aliens, whatever you want to call them. The necro They're called necromorphs in the game. You can shoot certain body parts and they will not be there anymore. They will still come after you. Like they will still proceed to try to kill you. It's very good at making sure the constant suspense of these, any one of these things can kill me. That to me is actually probably its best feature is the atmosphere. And the fact that you're not the typical doom guy, essentially, <laughs> in a survival horror game. That, that constant suspense of, am I going to die? How am I going to die? How might I die? What's around this corner? Yeah, What's <laughs> Exactly. You, like, you never know if something's going to jump from the air duct, from, the, from around the corner, from behind you. You just never know. And they're not cheesy horror movie jump scares. They're almost like left for dead. Oh, I didn't see the bunch of zombies behind me <laughs> kind of deal. I like the little the synopsis and, and you said it. You're not a soldier. You're not a warrior or whatever. He's basically become a reluctant warrior. He has no choice but to become that based on a situation. Yes. That's a fun concept, I would say. And it's electronic arts. They've been around many a years. Yes, they have. And some people like them. Some people don't. I just fall into the category of good game or not. Maybe you said this already, but how well does it run in, in Linux? Using Proton, uh, I was running at 60 frames, max settings on everything. So it runs runs great. That's on my older Elite book, which is my editing station. My editing slash console. That's cool. Talking about dead space, and which means things coming back to life. Nate, there's something that you recently purchased that came back to life. Yes, but I would say it never died. <laughs> so yes, I recently purchased, actually I pre-ordered it last year, like back in September, and I got it in November. I really haven't talked about it yet, but I got this thing called the C64 Maxi. It is the world's best-selling home computer reborn, a Commodore 64, but in a kind of a modern, I don't want to say re-image of it because it's not exactly, essentially emulation that have Linux at the core of it, from my understanding. Commodore 64 in a Commodore 64 case with a Commodore 64 keyboard, except the shift lock doesn't actually lock. It actually, it's just a springy key like all modern keys. It's got HDMI and USB ports and so forth. And it's been a lot of fun to play for my kids because instead of waiting, you know, 20 minutes or whatever for a game to load, that's a hyperbole, not so much of a hyperbole, like, you know, five, six, 10 minutes sometimes for a game to load. This will actually load it very rapidly. And it's the same game images from the old Commodore 64, from the original Commodore 64. I shouldn't say old because it's not that old. It's only 34 years old. So use those, those game files. You can like have like a little carousel type thing. You can you know, use a joystick to navigate to whatever it is you want to get to and then you can play it that way. It's very cool in that regard. I also want to throw in a game recommendation. I've never done one of these before. So here's my first game recommendation ever on uh, DLN Extend. It's called Fix-It Felix Jr. Basically the game that was based on the Wreck-It Ralph movie that they played. You know, it's, it's one of those pay-for-what-you-want type games. It benefits a charity. Disney did something for like the tablet some, when the game came out. Wasn't very good. This is actually very good. It's fun to play. It's very playable. It has the music and some voice sampling in there too. They, I'm gonna wreck it. You know, fix it, Felix, stuff like that. And so you go through the game windows as Wreck-It Ralph breaks things and drops stuff on you and runs on the Commodore 64. It can run on the old hardware as well, but also runs on this, the C64. It's a lot of fun to play. I mean, it's an arcade style from the 80s game. If you like that sort of thing, then it's up your alley. If you like be more into like the story stuff, which I know you are, Matt, you're probably not going to be big into it. But you can play this in emulation. You can you can get a uh, an emulator, you know, like Vice, which you can install on any Linux desktop. It's really a lot of fun. So I got some links there for the show notes so people can actually check it out, look at the videos and whatnot. So, Nate, I will have you know, uh -huh. I actually enjoy games that are not only story heavy. Mega Man games are not story heavy at all. That's true. Mega Man games are awesome. And that is literally probably one of my favorite platformers. 
Action platforms, whatever. Metal Man is the best. Best version of Mega Man is Mega Man X. Really? Yes. My favorite was always Mega Man 2. We can argue about that. (laughs) (laughs) They have an entire collection of the originals, and they also have an entire collection of the newer ones, like the Mega Man X games, just an FYI. Is that available on the Switch, do you know? Uh, Yes, it is available on the Switch. It's also available on Steam. Well, paint me green and call me Gumby. I got to check that out now. I believe it is, I think it's the Mega Man Legacy Collection. There'll be like part one, part two, part one, part two. I think it's four games, four games, then it's four games and four games. Well, that's cool. I have all the original Nintendo games, but I don't have the Super Nintendo games. So maybe maybe it's time I expand my collection of Mega Man. So Wendy, what have you got for us? It just seems to be the week of the game because I also have a game for you. This is one I've been playing off and on throughout the week. It's been really nice to just kind of sit down and chill out for a minute. This one is suitable for kids to play and have kids around. It's called Path of Giants indie casual puzzle style game. So you have three characters, which you have to move around the environment to get them where they need to go. Sometimes you have to take them in the opposite direction in order to get them in the right direction. It's been a really fun puzzle game where I can sit down, just kind of relax for a few minutes, let my mind work. Not in the case of Matt's where you're in this heavy anticipation of, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Though I'm definitely going to have to check out that Wreck-It Ralph game. The kids will probably love it. They've also been enjoying watching me play this Path of Giants. More specifically, My older son, he likes to come up behind me and talk through it as I'm also working through the puzzle at the time to get to the next level. The wonderful thing about it is you can play a level and move on, right? You don't have to sit there and play it for a long period of time. The characters are really cute. I love the way that they've done the graphics on it. I believe it's an originally just a Windows game. I'll double check that real fast. Yes, it's Windows or Mac OS, but I've had it running through Proton absolutely no issues been playing great it's a fun one to have around if you like the puzzle style game it's like i love this styling of art it's like 3d but it feels it doesn't have like that plasticky 3d feel it has more of a cartoony 3d feel i love exactly. i love how this looks and i love these puzzle games too i was a big fan of lemmings back in the day and i remember playing that so i love those puzzler type any type of puzzle games i think are just Loads of fun. They kind of, they force you to think and it's kind of like Sudoku, except not as boring. Sudoku is one of those games that I used to play as a puzzle type kind of game. This fills some of that void. The puzzler games are definitely my favorite style. I've gotten several recently. I've really enjoyed this one. Not only is it a puzzler, but it's also casual, right? I'm not worried about making sure I'm hitting the next level. Candle, which we've talked about in the past. I love that game. That's also a puzzle style game, but if you stopped in certain places, it would take you back to almost where you were, right? You had to make sure you were at a a good save spot or whatever. And I don't know if you've hit the last level of that one, but there's a section you have to make it through before you can stop or you have to go back to the beginning of kind of chapter three. This one, I can really casually play it. I need five minutes to myself or whatever. I have five minutes before I have to go do something, sit down, play a level, kind of get my mind warmed up, stop thinking about other stuff that's going on during the day, relax for a bit, and then go back to what I need to do. If you want to spend quite a bit of time going through the different level of puzzles, you can. But if you've got a quick five minutes, just need a breather. This is an awesome game for that. I like those kind of games. 
We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to contact us through our social media channels, all of our shows, the creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information where you can find me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. I still have not chosen a social media platform, but as soon as I do, I will let you know. We will be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN X10. Until then, have a great week, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>